All right, now, listen, title of this message, High Stakes. Okay, we kind of alluded to this a little bit last week when we started talking about that we have an enemy. It's interesting that we didn't even, I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface. It was just kind of an introduction because one, we didn't have the time to really get into it. But essentially, what this is kind of showing us in Acts chapter 12 is that, man, the enemy is making an assault against his people. Now, we've seen this in little persecutions here and there, but now this is starting to get bigger, and it's going to start to be the foundation for what we see even to this day. And what, you know, I experienced in India, we understand that. As an overall theme, I need to bring you back to something I told you months ago. Our overall theme for this book is kingdom focus. And in both halves of the book, the book is trying to lay out a focus for the kingdom. Whether it's a Jewish focus or a Gentile church focus, there are those two focuses that are in play. And so the thesis essentially for Acts needs to be this. A kingdom focus should be the people of God's primary focus. Okay, so this is the thing, and just in terms of getting your head wrapped around how you look at Acts, what you should be doing is looking at the apostles' lives and the various saints that come along, deacons that come along, these men and women of God, and they're in the face of persecution, they are steadfast. Man, they are steadfast. And I think it's appropriate for the, the, the environment that we're in right now for us to have the similar, same focus. Man, how do I do this? How do I have a life that, that is going to count for the kingdom in the face of COVID, in the face of I lost my job, I lost family, right? I mean, I, it's a time of loss in a lot of ways. Is the Lord still in his throne? <laughs> yes. Is he still in control? Yes. That's my comfort. And so, man, we got... We have a ton here. My key purpose this morning for you is this. I just want you to be clued in on the various ways of the enemy. You got to understand, last time I gave you an introduction, just say, hey, you have one just in case you treated the devil like he was the boogeyman, but he's been tearing you up, maybe even this last week. I mean, some of you, feedback that I've gotten back is that things got ramped up. <laughs> you had surprise challenges even after I mentioned that. Okay, so here they are. The enemy devises, he destroys, he detains, he divides. See, you got to know that coming into it. How are you going to have focus if you don't know what's coming at you? See, that's why you got the Bible. Man, as an absolute authority, it's the best thing that you can turn to and say, Lord, tell me what to do, what to think, because I don't know. I got the answer. It's right here in my word. Come and meet with me. And so just in terms of a, a, a little breakdown and contextually where we are from, we're just going to look at the first four verses. And in those first four vo uh, verses is Herod persecutes the church by killing James and imprisoning Peter. Uh, and at, at its most basic level, that's what we're having happen. But now we have to understand that this persecution is now at a higher level than just religious rulers. Remember, Agrippa, this Herod as a title would be like Caesar. And so there are, there are many men that have held that title as Herod. Now they're, they're all related. And you will see Agrippa, the, the first is, the, our, is our kind of a villain. 
in this story, unfortunately. And so let's read the text of the first four verses. That way we can kind of get our heads wrapped around what we're going to look at, and then we'll jump into it. It says, verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarter uh quarter quarters excuse me of soldiers to keep him intending after easter to bring forth to the people and so here's the thing agrippa may not be the antichrist but because he's feeding his flesh he sure is acting like one you know that the bible kind of gives you a window into the fact that the spirit of antichrist exists already been in a, been around why well there's a devil there's sin and when people feed their flesh, they start acting like it. And so that's absolutely what's taking place. Let me put you in remembrance of something very important as you understand Agrippa in light of this. John 8, 4, 4 says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Oh, wait a minute. Does that sound familiar just in terms of this guy now is going to vex certain of the church? Man, do you, don't, you don't think that the devil also wants to stop the church? from growing and furthering and multiplying? Absolutely. This is dangerous territory for Agrippa. I wish somebody had a tap dude on the shoulder and said, hey man, what do you, no, let's not do this. What else does it say in John 8, 44? He was a murderer from the beginning. Well, you tick, uh, check that box. And abode not in truth, check that box. Wow, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so your first key this morning is be careful of what you yield to. You better absolutely, Christian, be careful of what you yield to. See, the Lord has delivered you from your uh, sin nature. And you don't want to uh, put those handcuffs back on and start acting like the thing that the Lord delivered you from. Now in Agrippa's case, obviously there is this great thing. He's in this odd space of, he's really king because of Rome, not really for the heart of the Jews. As a tetriarch, he has kind of control over these certain areas. And so I would imagine he's trying to really win their hearts by doing these ridiculous things because he understands that there is some issue between Christians and the church, or the, not the church, Christians and, uh, and the synagogue, and all the leaders of the synagogue. And so now he's just trying to play it to his advantage, right? Boy, be careful. Romans 6, 16 says, know you not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And the thing I want you to pay attention to is that, um, those words there, stretch forth his hands. And I want you to take notice here of uh, Genesis 22:10, because I want you to get an understanding really what's behind what it is that he's doing. Why is it that he has these uh, antichrist type leanings? Well, just pay attention. Let's see if you can figure this out. In Genesis 22:10, it says, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. That's the first time you see stretched forth like that is 
is Abraham. Very interesting that it's, it's that account, right? In Exodus 9.23, and a lot of them you will see in Exodus, because of any of you that have studied Exodus, understand that the Lord very much made that a memorial and said, it was by my mighty hand that I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Okay, now you cluing in on what I'm saying here? If he's saying I'm stretching forth his hand to vex the church, do you think you have power like God? Okay, let's keep reading. 9.23 in Exodus, and Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and who the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hell upon the land of Egypt. In Exodus 10.22, it says, and Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. In Exodus 4, 14, 27, and Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. And when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. See, in all of those places, Moses is stretching forth his hand because God told him to. That's the difference. That's the difference. In Isaiah 5, 25, listen to this. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he has stretched forth his hand against them and have smitten them. And the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And so our key this morning for that is all of these things show us God's judgment. This is dangerous ground for any man or woman to be in. You don't get to just judge freely. There's only one righteous judge. And as the Lord <laughs> is bringing these plagues on Egypt, everything he's doing is just. It is not just what Herod Agrippa is doing. Not whatsoever. And so I want you to pay attention to Jesus. And Jesus here in Mark 3, 5, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto them, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. See, Jesus stretches, has a man stretch his hand out. Why? To restore it. See, we get here also, another key here is a demonstration of his power. The power of that restoration. So you have on one hand a righteous judge, you have another hand his power. And boy, there's something interesting. Keep that in mind with me now. So is the gospel, his power. Now, in Romans 1.16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is important because Herod is vexing James and Peter because they are also not ashamed of the gospel. So now you have an arm wrestling contest taking place between Herod and the Lord himself. And perhaps Herod didn't even realize what you were getting yourself into, but brother, that you're going to get your arm snapped off. <laughs> Do not arm wrestle with the Lord concerning his people or his plan. See, we want to be individuals that agree with him by our actions, where our heart is, that we would say, okay, Lord, yes, amen, and let's go. Whatever you say, I'm with you. I trust you. Because I know your power and I know your judgments are true. And I'm comforted by that. Man, he judged your sin at Calvary. Not you, your sin. You see what I'm saying? It's because he loves you. 
Agrippa does not love James or Peter. He does not love the church. He does not love the things of God. And I suggest to you this, this morning is that he's arm wrestling with God and perhaps somebody should have whispered Hebrews 10, 31 to him. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He very much should have that kind of viewpoint. But this guy is bold. I mean, he's bold with it. And so now another term or word that you need to take note of in chapter or verse one is vex. Just so you get the understanding, you see now that he is trying to enact his judgment and his power in the situation, but also what is the intention behind it? Oh, it is to harm or to hurt and treat evil, to treat someone evilly. He absolutely is wanting to extend that. And so now we can see what his intentions truly are. He is devising a plan without God's approval. He could care nothing for it. This is the kind of enemy that we have. He's not gonna check in to see if this is okay or not. He's gonna make sure that he tries to disrupt what you're doing. And for those of us that are of the household of faith, Guys, listen, um, you got to understand what you're up against. And that doesn't make me tremble. I just need to know what I'm up against so that when I go in the loving arms of my father, I know where my rest and my strength is going to come from. I think that this is the thing that you're seeing with these guys. I love what, what we see here. So in Romans 9, 22 and 24, it says, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And so listen, Brother James's death was sweet to the Lord. Here's the thing. The enemy doesn't get to say when your time is up. The Lord does. And so James' time was up. And we could take comfort in that. I don't have to be afraid. See, that was the one thing that I was kind of facing in India. There was a slight decision. Like if this goes south and death is on the line, I'm taking the on-ramp. For whatever reason, it just, it was okay with me and my spirit. I was not concerned. I was not about to back down. I was not going to make some deals. And maybe it is from that position that the Lord said, because you got me, when Dan asked, remember, I, I mentioned that last time, when Dan asked us in the car when we were by ourselves, hey, have you guys thought about this? And all of us said yes. And everybody's ready. And then we end up taking selfies at the end. Like, that's the thing that kind of, <laughs> right? But you see what I'm saying? Like, the Lord is allowing the situation in order to prime my heart. So guys, you don't, we're not in the face of danger, but you get a chance to die daily. How are you doing with that? If you can't die daily, boy, you might betray the Lord in the face of death. Psalms 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so, uh, verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. But let's, let me tell you something. It was not completely a surprise to the disciples that they would suffer and be killed for being disciples of Christ. 
One of the things that he mentioned to them is in Matthew 20, 23, and it says this, and he saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And so we need to dial in here on this. You shall drink indeed of my cup because the cup signifies a couple things you need to get down. The first one is a heart of righteousness. In Matthew 23, 25 through 26, it says, Warn to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. See, listen, if we're talking about the Lord's cup, we know that that cup is clean inside and out. Very sparkly. Not the residue that's left on from the dishwasher because you know that sometimes it's like that. It's kind of ashy. <laughs> Your dishes, why my dishes need lotion? <laughs> and so... 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of, of devils. It also signifies Christ's death. So now remember, the first one was a heart of righteousness, but next it is his death. You guys know it. In Mark 10, 38 and 39, but Jesus said to them, you know what ye, uh, excuse me, know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we can. And Jesus said to them, you shall indeed drink of that cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, ye shall be baptized. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For this cup is important. So this got listen, so we don't have to feel sorry for what's happening to James and Peter. They understand what was going on. The Lord had told them in more than one of the gospels, hey, listen, you, gonna, you will have my cup. And you know what? I think that, the, man, did it stop their focus? As we've been leading up to this point and watching what these apostles have been doing? No, man, no. It also signifies something else, suffering for Christ's sake. And we know this, Matthew 26, 39, 42, I love, it's one of my favorite. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then right after, not as long as I'm taken. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as I will. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, I will be done. Man, do you have a heart like that this morning? I mean, I, you know, the thing I have to challenge with myself is a lot of time I'm just I'm, I'm praying for some kind of comfort. Ease. <laughs> I don't like it when it's hard. I don't like have to work harder or fight through this thing. Listen, I... Suffering is coming if it's not already at your doorstep. Invite it in. It's fine. It's a part of the character of who we are in Jesus Christ. Okay. 
See, they were witnesses of his death and of his character. And if they were to be truly be his disciples, then they would have to obey the father just as much as he did. They would suffer and also have to be willing to, to die obeying the father. And so our key here is rejoice when the attacks come. Rejoice. It sounds ignorant to say that, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. You have won. Remember, I, man, I, in discipleship, me and one of my brothers, I've been saying a lot, we are hurdlers. And you're in a marathon of hurdles. But the Lord gave you the strength to hurdle all of them. So run the race. Romans 5, 2 through 5, you know it. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It doesn't matter what divisive plans the enemy, the Lord just parries it. He's a judo champion. <laughs> the devil throws a punch, he just, nope. <laughs> you good. You're like, man, what happened? Where'd he go? Like Steven Seagal, you know, he got the ponytail, all that. <laughs> and so verse three, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then here we have the enemy detains. One of the things you got to take note of is he saw it pleased the Jews. In John 12, 43, it says, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Our key is, who do we seek to please? I mean, listen, even myself is not a worthy substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. Take note. In Romans 15, 3, it says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. And so you have something very interesting in the midst of all of that is this days of unleavened bread. And in short, I left you um, kind of a, just like a shortened version of it, but there are scripture references that you can look at and see. I'll just run through it a little bit. It just says, A memorial, a feast unto the Lord signifying a new beginning and preparation for deliverance on the 15th day and the 22nd day uh, till the uh, 22nd day. It's a seven day long uh, festival. Eat unleavened bread during that whole time. No leaven in the house. If any is found, that soul should be cut off from Israel. I'm just basically like these are bullet points of when you read Exodus is far more eloquent than how I'm giving you. Um, <laughs> and then no work being done uh, during this time. Oh, also in first and last day, there should be a holy assembly, a calling together during that time. And so, okay, just, you, just stay with me. You're like, Dale, what, what? Just stick with me. Okay. There is leaven that we see present in Herod from this example. Herod's doctrine is much like the Pharisees. And in Matthew 16, 6, it says, then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I'm going to skip down here in your slide to verse 12, but let me read the rest of it. And he says, and they reason, verse 7, among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread, which, we, when, which when Jesus perceived, he said to them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread? 
Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baskets you took, you took up? How is it then that you do not understand that I spake? It's not concerning the bread. You should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then they understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, man, the issue is, is Herod doesn't give God glory for anything. And even, he even has the audacity to do things as if he is God. By his judgments, by his power that's been given to him by Rome, son, your, your power is phony. Somebody else gave it to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not the Lord's power. It was given to you by I don't even want to talk about <laughs> them guys. Nasty dudes. Some nasty dudes. And so now in Mark 8, 15, he says, and he changed them, taking heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. So what is that? Well, in 1 Peter 2, 1, it says, wherefore lying, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Guys, this is, Herod is doing this. This is what that doctrine looks like. All these lies, all these hypocrisies, all of these imaginations, like I actually have some authority truly. So now I'm going to put a clamp down on the Lord's church. Oh, man, be careful, Agrippa. I couldn't have told him enough. At the end of this chapter, he didn't listen enough. You keep reading, you see what happens. And so the key is this. Agrippa imprisoned Peter, but he is the one who is truly in bondage. In Galatians 5.1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Man, he seeks to try to put these guys in chains, but he's in chains himself. He doesn't even know it. Your power is false. Your freedom is false. You don't get to do whatever you want to do and think that the Lord doesn't take note against his church and against his people. Guys, if that's not the most comforting thing you've heard this week, you ain't been listening. I just told you the answer to everything that's wrong with you this morning. There's not a single plan. There's not a single hurdle. There's not a single death or uh, loss of job or continuation at home with all the kids. You got to teach that the Lord cannot handle. You have to believe that. Do not trade your focus for something lesser than kingdom focus. Do not trade your focus. See, there's something beautiful that I want to tell you, um, you know, in Deuteronomy about this unleavened bread. The Bible calls it uh, the bread of affliction. And I, I love that just because there's something to that in terms of how we need to understand suffering. And even our past, sometimes we're just nailed down to the ground. We cannot move because we're so like captured by what it is that how our past was or even our past failures. Listen to this. Second Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort with what carefulness it wrought in you 
yea, with clearing of yourselves, yea, with indignation, yea, with fear, yea, with vehement desire, yea, with zeal, yea, with revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Man, just bring all that stuff to the Lord. Bag it up, bring it to the Lord, set it down. Whatever thing you're suffering with, okay, last week you might have messed up. You might have had a moment of like, you, you, you weren't clear and you, and then you self-medicated somehow with laziness or some addiction or just whatever it was. Okay, bag it up and take it to his feet and let him deal with it. You have to understand this is a part of it. I know we forgot, but you're being conformed to the image of Christ. That will not be accomplished till you're dead. <laughs> okay, so the pruning is every... Every time the Lord gets a chance. And that hurts. But you get better growth. Anybody that's ever seen rose bushes, they can be kind of gnarly looking. So you got to cut them and then they come back right and they come back full. And we shouldn't be paying this crazy money on Valentine's Day for these stupid things. <laughs> because they grow pretty easy. <laughs> Why are you charging me 60 bucks and tomorrow to be $15? We will wait. <laughs> I didn't wait. I didn't, I didn't give Serene anything this year. Sorry. <laughs> and so listen, listen, this is, you got to get this down. The other key here is a snare from the devil is just an opportunity for God. A snare from the devil is just an opportunity from God. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And so, man, I, uh, I want to finish. I'm going to try to finish. I got to baptize Blake. You guys know that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> super cool. I'm super pumped. Um, mm, okay. Listen, lightning round. Buckle in, take notes or take pictures. <laughs> it's your choice. We're doing this, okay? So here we go. Okay, now, verse four. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quarter, <laughs> quarterns of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So now this is where we see the enemy is dividing. And say, Dale, how? Well, he's dividing Peter from the people. He's trying to divide the opportunity for the rest of Israel to hear this truth that's coming from the apostles. Man, he's just trying to put a stop, put a wedge, put some sort of block. And so this kind of assault that's happening in him consists of four soldiers. And now we see that things are ramping up. It's not like what happened to Peter before in Acts 4.21, where it says, and so when they had further threatened him, they let him go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorify God for that which was done, okay? And so now you're seeing that this is being dealt with at a Roman level. They're treating him like this. This is gonna be something we're gonna see kind of take place a little bit later with Paul as well, which will he will work it to his advantage. <laughs> but now there is something else that the Lord puts in here that oddly enough is division for the body of Christ to this day, is why is Easter here? Okay, there are two things you got to have in your head before just when you approach this right here. 
Second Peter 1 21 says for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Ghost. Okay. Second Timothy 3 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Who wrote the Bible? Okay. That first off, that has to be your set position. All right, now, now that we got the supposition, we're locked in because the rest of 2 Timothy says, and it's profitable for doctrine. Now, this doctrine here, gigantic. You got to get this. It's a Greek word meaning pasha. Do not waste your time going all online and looking outside the Bible for all of this nonsense that's going to come up. This is a spot where people will choose to not believe the King James Version because they feel like it has a flaw. They will see this Easter as being something that was uh, adopted from pagan uh, worship that came from Anglo-Saxons about uh, AD 100, okay? The completion of this obviously is before that, you know, this first century. Okay, so now I'm telling you, just go with me. The key here is God intended for the church to celebrate the resurrection and observe Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary, not the Passover. Okay, we're done with that. That's the end of that. Here's the proof. Also, it was important for God to move Israel forward by freeing them from the law, a Passover observance. Does that make sense? Is Which is greater, Passover or Calvary? Amen. Okay, so do not let these people uh, twist you up like pretzels and try to say that somehow that our book has adopted some sort of pagan nonsense. The Lord has it placed there for a reason. Okay, let me go with you. The Lamb of God's death would now be the observance by taking the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26. For I have deceived the for I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Critical verse. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The Passover is Jewish. We don't need to do that. It's law. We're done with it. In Exodus 13, 9, it says, And it shall be a sign for unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thy eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So listen, here's the key. God desires intimacy with us. That's why the Lord changed it. It's not just about your observance of something. The Lord wants intimacy with you and to be in relationship with you. In Deuteronomy eleven twenty two, 22, he even tips his hat so they could see that and they missed it. And guys, we miss it too. Deuteronomy eleven twenty two. for if, if you shall delicately keep all these commandments, which I command you and do them, check it out to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and get this, and to cleave unto him. Cleave. That's the position the Lord wants you to be in, not on the outside looking in, not like a, not like the, a military soldier that just simply does something for duty. I know the Lord references that, but don't miss the picture. You are sons and daughters. 
sons and daughters, and the Lord has wanted you to grab on daddy's leg as much as you need to. Really, if you just stay there, that'd probably be best for you. But now, their Jewish traditions would not need to be observed because now there's a deeper relationship that the Lord is going on, and Calvary is greater than the Passover could ever hope to be. Colossians 3, 10, 11. We have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Why? Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, scathian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I love it. Praise the Lord. That's why we have to be done with this. That's why if you look in the New Testament, you'll see it in there 28 times. And one time, Easter, in Acts 12. And people are losing their minds over it. And I'm telling you, don't make it harder than it needs to be. The Lord has said, this is over. This is what we're going to do now. And so, man, Easter is Christian. And listen to this. First, First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what the resurrection does. The Passover could never do it. You could do it 30 times, you'd still be crummy on the inside. Guys, don't miss it. You with me? You get it. Do you understand it? Do not let the world try to put their definition on our book. The Lord put it there for a reason. We should trust that. And so now, here's the thing. I got to fast forward all the way to end. We are way past our time. <laughs> but there is this thing that uh, uh, I wanted to just show you in terms of the fact that he wanted to give somebody and make this offering. And essentially, at the time of Jesus, if I can shorten it for you, at the time when Jesus was, uh, Pilate, he kind of washed his hands of it, but the, the government really didn't step in like it is at this point. Uh, these guys are stepping in. And uh, they're, making, they're making too much of an issue here of what God is doing, uh, much to their own destruction. This government now is against the church for the purpose of appeasing the people. The government's concern is self-centered and self-preservation. This is why do not fall for the trick of thinking that either one of these parties has the Lord's heart. They do not. Not until the Lord is on the throne. That is the theocracy that you worship, okay? Until then, it will have flaws. So you vote, get it right, and then trust the Lord to do the rest. But listen, do not make war with your brother and sister over it. That's foolishness, okay? And so, last thing. <laughs> here's, here's another key I want to give you. God will preserve his glory. And from Jesus Christ, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that, is, that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests 
Unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then lastly, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, it says, as you know how he exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as doth a, fa a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God and have called you unto what? His kingdom and glory. That is your focus. His kingdom, his glory. That's your focus. So my conclusion is this for you. Despite the plan of the enemy, God is your deliverer. Suffering for Christ's sake is an honor. We are free in Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. I love you. Be dismissed. Let's get out of here.